Well, good morning. I feel a little bit like uh, Mr. Rogers this morning. Uh, I'm channeling my inner Tom Hanks, inviting you into my home for this fireside chat we call a sermon. I was away in Florida when the uh, World Health Organization finally called this a pandemic and I was called home by our government. So I'm self-isolating for a few weeks. Welcome to my basement. For those of you who are online stalkers and you're already looking at my books, I'll point out that my fiction books are kind of back here. Those are the ones I collected before my wife made me go on Kindle. I've thrown some Christian books in on the margins to make me, you know, look good in front of you all and to confuse the OCD people who want to catalog everything. Welcome to my basement. I'm speaking to you now in a moment of great fear and great opportunity. And I want to speak about both of these issues because both of these issues are right in front of us. Margaret Wente, who is a columnist and writer, put it very incisively in the Globe and Mail article this week. She said, when will we get that world back? Not anytime soon. Disease and the coming Great Recession will test us like no other challenge we have ever faced. We thought we were in control, secure in our lives and our futures reasonably predictable. Now, all bets are off. For now, and perhaps for a long time, our world has become a narrow, confined, and lonely place where we can't see our friends or kiss our moms. Last week was another country. We need to say this. She's right. But we also need to say that God, the good God, the kind and loving God of the gospel, who rules the universe, has known about this moment since before time began. This is no surprise to him. Many of you are asking, why is he allowing it? The short answer is, we don't know. I remember studying and living in the United States when 9-11 hit, and pundits right afterwards were confidently predicting a transformation of America into a more religious and conservative and better place. Well, it might be better, but it certainly didn't become more religious or conservative. Their confidence was misplaced. We need to realize God's ways in history are not given for us to know, not fully. So we do not know exactly what this all means. So let us who believe in God be cautious about confident pronouncements that we know what he is up to. But we do know some things, and we start with Jesus. God coming down to become one of us, and to suffer in this world with us and then for us. God is not immune or uncaring in this time of affliction. God is here. Jesus sent his spirit to be with us out of compassion, to be with us every step of the way, living with us, living in us, suffering with us, grieving with us, as it were, giving courage to us. Now, in this moment we have, God says something generally true about us here in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to particularly believe right now. Jesus declares two things that are always true of his people, that are true of us now and forever, that we need to believe, receive, and act on today. And those two things are, one, that we are salt. Two, that we are light. Let's look at those in their turn. Firstly, we are salt. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Do you hear that? Christians are called the salt of the earth. Now, what does Jesus mean by salt here? 
Well, his original hearers would have immediately understood salt to have been used in at least two profound ways in their day, and they're true in ours. Firstly, salt was a preservative. In ancient times, before the advent of refrigeration, hot climates needed some way of preserving food, particularly meats. Salt was one of the surest and most popular ways to preserve. It literally protected meat from spoiling or getting contaminated. Secondly, salt was a, a flavoring spice. It, it had a particular role there as a flavoring spice. Unlike other spices, its role was to disperse into the product, the meat, and unleash the other flavors into the meal. So to unleash these underlying flavors, salt was to be used sparingly and carefully. Too much, and what we tasted, was the salt. The point of the salt was to disappear into the background, into the other flavors, and enhance them all so they could flourish. It wasn't meant to draw attention to itself, but to the other flavors. Salt did its job when people did not comment on the salt, but on the other spices and flavors that were in the meal. And so let's look at how we are meant to be salt in these two ways, as preservative and as flavor-enhancing, cultural-flourishing agents. Firstly, as a preservative, we're called to embed ourselves into society, mixing with neighbors and co-workers, and yeah, I'll get to distancing in a minute, in such a way as to maximize preservation. So, Christians are called as a people to dissolve and disperse into our neighborhoods, into our condo and apartment buildings, into our workplace environments, and to serve there. Not to congregate into some holy hodl, not, not some little pile of salt <laughs> beside the soup or the stew or the meat. We're to disperse and help preserve. What does that mean in this moment? In this moment, it means, firstly, we should be the most diligent to practice that which preserves our culture. In our case now, social distancing is, in this moment, one of those practices. Christians should quietly, in our own places of residence and work, we should be the most appropriate in, in practicing personal safeguards, in cleanliness, hand washing, and social distancing, not because we're afraid, but because out of love for others, we want to protect them. Not for our safety, but for their not for our own protection, but for their own lives. So, I was in Florida. I was informed by some of the elders that I should cut my vacation short because the government was soon going to announce that we should be called home. And I remember initially balking at that idea, wondering if it was an overreaction. But very quickly I realized, out of love, I need to comply with the safest practices for our whole community. I didn't want to spend the extra $1,000, to be honest, to come home a few days early, but I felt compelled, both externally and internally, by the Lord and by His people to do what was right, to help love the best way I could. God can save or make up that lost money, but every day I come home early may save a life or two. So firstly, best practices. Secondly, we should encourage everyone we know to those best practices. I noticed when I was in Florida, a high disdain with the people around me, a high disdain for the anxiety that most of the world was experiencing. And it's easy to flow with the currents of whomever you're with, either the flow of anxiety, we'll get to that in a moment, or the flow of complacency, which I was in. 
Let's not let those currents capture us. Let's be people who, out of love for others, as diligently as possible, help preserve our culture and our people. Thirdly, find ways to proactively help preserve those around you who need help. There are people all around us that are marginalized, that are older, that need help if they practice social distancing. They may need groceries or stuff delivered to them. They may need someone to Zoom them in loneliness or anxiety or depression. They may need someone to call and pray with them. Use the technology we have. Reach out to your coworkers, your friends, and your neighbors. Find out they may be more needy than you can imagine. We in self-isolation are more needy than we ever imagined we would be. This is a strange and yet spiritually very healthy place to be, to be dependent upon others. I know Sue and I have to have others bring groceries and drop them on our porch and leave. It feels so strange to be so dependent, but it's so good to be reminded, as Margaret Wente said and as God says, we are not in control. Salt is a preservative. Let's be preservatives of our culture. Secondly, salt enhances flavor. It helps the flourishing of the whole. Let's be that as well. Now, to get into that, I need to stop and talk about a danger that Christians particularly uh, I'm seeing beginning to fall into. I don't think it's a particular danger for most of us in our church, but it is worth mentioning because it's out there in the media and in the social media. And that is There's a sort of a triumphal tribalism. I'm reading online about so-called Christian leaders saying, this is our opportunity to show who we are, to advance the brand of our Christianity. Let's show the city what we're doing. There's something not so wrong about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about how to be light. But I don't think Jesus calls us to draw attention to ourselves. Christians are not a brand. We're a family. We're a new city. We're part of the body of Christ, and we're called to serve as salt, to go in and not bring attention to ourselves, but to enhance the flavor everywhere. And so even though we're called to be light, we're called to be light in a very humble way. We're salt when we dissolve into the mainstream of our culture and preserve it and enhance it and unleash it. So let's not be tribalists trumping, sorry, sounding our own horn. Let's understand that though some people are proud of their efforts to counter the virus and some cultures have done better than we have, we're also now seeing Canadian articles about how we're doing so much better than our American friends. That may be so. But this is no time for gloating or triumphal tribalism of any kind. This is a time for us to realize we're all one. Those are our brothers and sisters in those other nations that are doing worse than we are. The least of us who are hurting are us. If you're a Christian, they're part of the body of Christ, those Christians in other places. We should mourn those who are being swamped and overwhelmed like Italy. Pray for places where the population density and existing medical system may not be able to contain a serious outbreak even though it hasn't happened. Let's pray for places like Pakistan and India and, and Africa. But there's a warning here as well. Don't lose your saltiness. Jesus says we can't regain it if we lose it. And so let's remember not to go to these two extremes that I think will help us lose 
our saltiness. First extreme, clumping together tribally and not dispersing into the culture. We don't exist only for ourselves, but we exist for our city. Get the, the good neighbor or one of those neighbors apps and find out who you can help nearby you. Ask around for the marginalized and at-risk people that you can be hands and feet for. I just saw a, a former Grace Toronto person who is now relocated to California. They put notes on top of hand sanitizers, sanitized notes, and left them at the doors of more elderly people and said, if there's anything we can do or pick up, here's our number, here's how to get in touch with us, we want to serve you. The first one is don't clump together tribally. Get out there and help. Secondly, don't isolate so much that you yourselves are needing salt. That in fear you stay away from anyone and anything. We're about to discuss that more deeply in our second description about light. But for the moment, remember to be salt, you must dissolve into the meat. To be salt, we must dissolve and be part of the culture in preserving and enhancing it. That's the way of saltiness. Not fearful, pure isolation and not triumphal tribalism. Quick applications. Find out what you can do in your neighborhood. Secondly, take the time to pray. You have more time than you may ever have had alone. So take some time off the social media frenzy and take some time to pray if you're a Christian. Reclaim your hours for rebuilding your saltiness. You will be tempted to go into isolating, paralyzing fear. You may be tempted to tribalistic separation. You need God's Spirit to help you stay salty, salinated. Read something like Psalm 57, where verse 1 says, Be merciful to us, O God, be merciful to us. For in you our soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings we will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. Pray that prayer. Pray it for all of us. Pray Psalm 59, 16. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you've been to me a fortress and a refuge in the days of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Jen Michel has put a series of prayers out. If you go online, find Jen Pollock Michel. She has a series of prayers for us to read together as families, as friends. During this time, I'll give you just a couple of them. Lord, we pray for our vulnerable populations. God, protect our elderly and those suffering from chronic disease. Provide for the poor, especially for the uninsured. Secondly, for the young and the strong, God, give them a commitment to take all necessary precautions to keep from unwittingly spreading the disease. Use your apps, look to the Bible, read these prayers, pray. And then take technology and join together with other Christians that you know, with your brothers and sisters, and pray together with them. Pray in your small groups. We're going to be looking at technology and maybe having uh, technology-aided weekly or monthly prayer meetings. We'll get back to you on that, but when we know more details. Right now, I'm just learning to speak into a camera. <laughs> we're salt. Let's be salt. Secondly, we're the light of the world. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says we are the light of the world, as we are the salt of the earth. Now let's act that way. Let's not hide the light. Let's be a light to the city we live in, the culture we inhabit, the people we're called to love. We have an opportunity here not to brand ourselves, but to love our city. And let's do that now. Let's serve these people. Let the world see our good works, but let them also see where those works come from, not from fear, but from faith and love. Let the world know that your faith in Jesus animates your love. You're not promoting a brand. You're bearing witness to grace, to Jesus. So we do not trumpet our faith to others as a badge of honor, but we do good works. Why? Actually, that's the question we need to answer. Why? What is this light we're called to show? Our own moral superiority, is that the light we're to show? No. What do Christians actually have that other people do not have? Do we have more pure hearts? No. We have sinful, selfish hearts, just like everyone else. We have ambitious, status-driven hungers and tendencies, just like everybody else. We have issues with anger, lust, greed, envy, jealousy, just like other people do. So what is this light? What is this different thing that we have that we want to shine on the world? You know what it is? Firstly, we have grace. The grace of God poured out in Jesus Christ. The undeserved favor of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because of God's love, he sent his one and only Son. Not because we deserved it, but because we needed it. Secondly, Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know who we were? Ephesians 2 tells us who we were. It says you were dead, spiritually dead to God in the sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of our body and of our mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you hear that? Christians were just like everybody else. That's who we were. But listen to what Ephesians 2 says about God. It says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you hear that? And by grace, you have been saved through faith. That's what makes Christians different from other people. We've had faith in Jesus and he's given us God's grace. That's the light of the world. The church is the light of the world because we have the light of grace that we can hold out to people. Hold out the grace that God's given to you. Secondly, hold out the hope that God has given to you. Because in the gospel, one of the great promises and one of the great antidotes to fear is this. The fear we have is of death because we have no hope as to what happens afterwards. But the great hope of the gospel is that we don't need to fear death because there's something better than this life waiting for us on the other side of death. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, We are now who are Christians, living a life of resurrection and sure hope. He says these words, starting in verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep, i.e. those who have died but will rise. For as by one man, Adam, came death, so by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to him. Do you hear that? Resurrection is our destiny. Life after death with God is our hope. He says these words a few verses later. Verse 53, this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That is gospel hope. That will happen. That's why Paul can also say in that same letter that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Men and women, children, there's a glory awaiting us, a hope that conquers fear, that unleashes a love in this time of anxiety. That is our truth. And I want to take a moment now and speak to those of you who are curious about the Christian faith, have not yet come to believe yet and become Christians. I want you to know this. There is a hope that you do not have right now that can conquer your fear and can conquer death. Will you be with God when you die? You can be. Grace is the way into life with God, and Jesus is the one who gives that grace. Because he went to the cross, and he took all the guilt and all the wrong and all the things that alienate you from God, and he bore the guilt of them that you don't have to so that you can just ask Him into your life. And He can come in and forgive everything that you've ever done. It's been paid for. Will you accept the gift of His forgiveness? Go to Him, give Him your life. Ask Him into your life. Surrender your life to Him and say, Jesus, come in. Give me eternal life. I give you this life. Guide me. And He will give you grace, forgiveness, pardon, eternal life. You will have victory over death and the pathway to triumph and hope over fear. Death will become the door to a more beautiful life. Let this hope banish your fear. Invite him in. Christians, we have this hope. Use it as an antidote to help take the sting out of the fear of death and disease. Resurrection hope, it is called. Death is not the final answer. Resurrection is the destiny of all. And resurrection to perfect, beautiful, physical, and spiritual communion with God is a Christian's destiny. Let this hope fill you. And let people know that it is this hope that catalyzes your courage and your love in the face of this affliction. 
there is no fear in love. The love of God and the hope it furnishes can shape our actions and cast out fear and be our light to this world. I remember watching a video that right now is going viral on social media. <clears throat> it's General McRaven. He had a little commencement speech on 10 principles of leadership. And near the end of that speech, he got to the climax. He's talking about being a Navy SEAL. I have no experience with it. He's talking about the climactic moment when they're in this cold slew of mud for well over 24 hours and it's getting to them. And they're being called to just quit. And then they can leave it. And he says, in the middle of his time there, one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. <laughs> the, the song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. It was one of the SEAL candidates. One voice, he said, became two, and two became three. And before long, everyone in the class was singing. The trainers threatened us with more time in that mud if we kept on singing, but the singing persisted. And somehow, the mud seemed a little warmer, and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. He gets emotional and says, if I have learned anything in my, tri in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope. Men and women, hope removes the fear of death. Hope shines light into darkness. Hope banishes anxiety. Hope helps unleash love. Be a light. Be the light of grace and be the light of hope. Some quick applications. Firstly, light as they understood it needed to be replenished. In those days, light was not electric. Light was either furnished by wood or by oil. An oil lamp needed new oil to keep it going. Obviously, fire made by wood needed more wood to keep it going. So the idea of light in that day to the original here was something that needed replenishing just as salt needed something to keep it salty. So how do we as light keep fueling the fire of our grace and our hope? I've already alluded to it, but now I want to say something very particular to us as Grace Toronto. We need to stay together. Stay together on Sundays. I know it feels weird. You're so disconnected. I feel totally strange preaching to my somewhat cleaned up basement to you. I get it. Everything's weird. You will find better preaching than I'm doing now. You'll find better music than you will probably have heard today. But you will find your faith family here. This is a family time. It's a time to get replenished by each other who know each other. Make yourself known. Be in union, communion, and community. Reach out. Use your technology. I'm thinking of doing virtual lunches, Google Hangouts or Zoom, almost every day with whoever wants to join. We're going to figure out how to do that. I'm looking at hopefully joining together with the small groups, one at a time as you guys hang out. I don't have to drive to you now. I can just log in and find you. We can actually unleash community even in the time of COVID-19. Let's do that. Let's find innovative ways to reach out, talk to each other, commune with each other, pray for each other. Be a replenishing light. Secondly, be that revealing light that we talked about. Ask the Spirit of Jesus to banish your fear and to make you salt and light. Find ways to actively, publicly, 
courageously in the light of fear go out while adhering to best practices of social distancing and help preserve and unleash and flourish our culture. You know, in the early days of Christianity, when epidemics and plagues hit, they hit in the first few centuries of the church. Cities were empty as people fled the disease. The only people who stayed who were well to help take care of the sick, at great risk to themselves, tended to be medics and Christians because they had hope that conquered their fear. I'm not arguing that we violate press and distancing provisions. Hear me now. But you need to hear this. When the medical system was overwhelmed and someone needed to stand in the gap and nothing else could be done, it was Christians infused by a love and a hope that conquered their fear that stood in the gap. So much so that Julian the Apostate wrote, Let us consider that nothing has so much contributed to the progress of this religion of Christians as their charity to strangers. These impious Galileans, that's what he called Christians, not only looked out for their own poor, but for ours also. This was true then. Let it be true now. Move out without, move out without fear, but with love. Let love be our guide. Let hope be our anchor. God loves us. God has us. Let us be salt and let us be light. Let us pray. Father, I thank you and praise you and ask you now to come by your spirit and help us to be salt and light. It is so hard and strange when we're called to be separated, when we can't see each other. But let us take the opportunity we have to serve, to love, to help preserve, and to help flourish. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.